Welcome to the pre-show. Uh, Welcome to the pre-show. Looking bum, forward bum, bum. to chatting with Martha Johnson oh. and Mark Gain for okay, Martha do now. Bum, 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 bum. and the muffins. Now you can do your. What can I get now? Bum, 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 bum. So y- you told me this uh, last week, um, and by the time this episode goes up, we'll have one hundred. Welcome to the music episodes. So congratulations, Greg. Thanks, buddy. Way to go. So I want to I want to <laughs> ask you this question. Um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the one I just published isn't that the 100th? And this would be the 102nd. This is 102nd. Like who's counting? I'm not second. counting. You're the one that's counting. You right, have to tell fine. me. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But it, it makes sense because we've been almost two years recording from home. Um, averaged about once a week, although we take a couple of months off during the year. Uh, and when we started, we started pre-pandemic uh, at the end of 2019. Yep. You know, so yeah, so 100. And, and of course, our, our first official one. Uh, was a live recording with uh, with your friend uh, Josie Die. Was but yes, so I, I just at, wanted to ask Radical you. Road. Yeah, at uh, our sponsor, what have they done for us, Greg? Past two years, Radical Road. Um, they <laughs> have uh, they have brought beer. They being Steve, the owner, has brought beer to my cottage. He's uh, continued to be my good buddy. He. Uh-huh. He brought beer to the Mag from Magfest. Uh huh. Um, so so far, you've only talked about what he's done for you. So I'm just I'm waiting for. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's why they're a sponsor. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, Steve and uh, the whole Radical Road fam is great. Looking forward to yep. getting back in there. Yep. Uh, I wanted to ask you any any highlights. I, I don't think out of a hundred, you can. Pick your favorite one, unless you actually do have one. But uh, do you have any I, I, there's 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 so many. There's like there's times when we laughed so hard, like when you know when we were done recording the Sass Jordan yes. episode, and my wife said, "I don't think I've actually ever heard you laugh that much during a recording." Um, there was, you know really detailed in-depth conversations like the one we just had now with Martha and the muffins yeah, with Mark and Martha, you know, where like it, it was fantastic just going into the history of the Toronto scene back then in the like late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Um, there's people that opened up to us like Ron Sexsmith in ways that, yeah, you know, um, there's, you know, talking to some of the people in terms of geeking it out from a technical perspective. Um, Mark Howard would be one Mark of those. Howard, even like even some of the conversations we were with Vin rock about sort of that, the marketing side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many, it's just been. You know. Yeah. There's, there's been, uh, I don't, I don't want to, I'm trying to go in alphabetical order, but. I remember remember that conversation we had with Tom Wilson um, in a in an office. Actually, we were actually sitting in an office. Yep. 
and he was there. You'll know the name, but he was there with his manager. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, just a giant of a man. Yeah. Just a giant. And I, I can't remember if I was telling you or if I actually admitted to him, like I, I'm so, I was so nervous. And at the time I had so many notes. I used to have a notebook. Well, now it's on a computer screen, but I used to have a notebook with my notes. Uh, not necessarily of questions, but just of, of sort of topics and themes. And at that time I hadn't written as many notes as I had, you know, preparing for, for Tom Wilson. Yeah. Um, that was a great, yeah, a giant, and a giant of a man in terms of personality too, not just that well, of course. like, no but, yeah. no, but no, but like he's, he's a, he's a presence physically. And then he's a presence period. Like, yeah. Like he's just, yeah. Sate was another person like Tom that just, you know, fills was, the room. Just. Yeah. She was very forthcoming. Like she didn't oh, hold yeah. anything back. No. Um, and she just put out some new music as well. So uh, people should go check out Sate, S-A-T-E. Uh, yeah. A great artist. Um, yeah. Remember? I don't know if you, this was, it was an, it, this was an interesting evening. Um, with, with that Indian rock band, uh, Parvaz. Pra- Pravaz. Yes. We had like two th- mics, two mics and eight of us in the room. Yeah. The whole band was there. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have the production quality that we do today. No. <laughs> with that one. No, that was amazing. I mean, I, I was looking at that the other day, um, on our, in the banner on the homepage and thinking yeah. back to that, to that interview. Uh, just great, great kids, great guys from Kashmir. Well, yeah. some of them were, <clears throat> who were over for, I think, Canadian Music Week, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That was great. Or um, North by Northeast, I'm not sure. Which, but anyway. Oh, you're right. One of our last episodes was actually a live performance. Uh, oh, AJ Mass Jefferson. You and Jefferson. Ewan Jefferson. Yeah. That was fun talking with AJ, sorry, AJ, um, right. and, and Justin is, uh, his, I guess his lead guitarist. Yeah. That, that was a fun night. That was a show. That was a, that was a radical road is not a big room. No. And it was packed. Yeah. And the crowd, oh my God, that was such a great night. That was a that, great night. That was fun. Um, yeah. I realized, and I think I realized this before, and so we haven't had many on, but over a period of time, we were talking to a lot of country music artists. Yep. Um, and they were fun. And then I realized Greg despises country music. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Um, Adrian Sutherland. Thanks. Thanks for calling me out. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you, you do it enough to me during the show. So. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it has been an utter joy speaking with, with Adrian. He's been on the show twice. Yep. The first time he came on, I was driving solo. Um, and then we spoke with him not too long ago. Um, uh, just a couple of shows ago. Yeah. I think he was number nine. If I'm not mistaken, he was number 99. 99. Maybe? Number 98. Reserved oh for the greats. Um 
he's just a absolute uh, he's refreshing because he's he's honest he's creative um and he doesn't sugarcoat stuff yeah and and i would i would put him in that 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 uh group of people that i talked about that where it was just refreshing because of how yeah. open and honest uh the guests are for sure yeah absolutely uh wow chin and jetty was fun um he came on he came on twice it was interesting the first time he came on i think it forgotten that he had this <laughs> but he played us a tune yeah. i think he played us i think some rush did he not was yeah, he did. Rush he, did. he played. Yeah. yeah. And then he came on uh, again. Uh, Danny Miles from July Talk. Oh, Danny Miles. That was a fun talk. That was fun. That was the start of Danny and my wife's, um, I don't know what you would call it on Instagram. Or a bird romance? Both the birding, the bird romance. That's bird a good romance. way to put it. Yeah. Bird <laughs> romance for sure. We started a segment that we haven't revisited in quite some time called Lost Venues. Well, in fact, I, let me correct that. We tend to do Lost Venue segments. Yeah. Um, however, uh, there have been times when we would just do a Lost segment or Lost Venues episode. Um, yep. So we started We started doing that. Um. I'm in Batia and was, was interesting. So he was referred by my uncle. So apparently I'm in and I are, are related somehow. I don't know how. Um, and so I was unsure how that episode was going to go because he makes music for TV shows yep. and not songs. Right. So it's more of the um, soundtrack, the soundtrack. Yeah. But I could have left. Because you two just geeked out over equipment. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, we totally geeked out over keyboards and drum machines. and. Yeah. Yeah. Tea Party, Jeff Burroughs. Jeff Burroughs was great. He was awesome. Another guy, another guy who opened up and talked about a lot yeah. of stuff. Then, yep. Uh, Candle was great. Yep. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, speaking. Are you going time. alphabetically through everybody? Not alphabetically. We're going we're gonna to be here. We're going to be a whole other show. And I'm not saying we shouldn't give everybody the love. Okay, so here. quickly, Stevie Salas, I am so happy. Yeah. We got yeah. to speak with, uh, with Stevie. Shad, unfortunately, you couldn't join us. Um, Shad was like a, a bucket list uh, for me. Um. And similar to people will listen to Martha and the Muffins today. Uh, the Spoons uh, yep. was an absolute joy. Uh, and if the Spoons were getting paid uh, as if I was a radio station, uh, they would have literally made millions of dollars uh, <laughs> since we spoke to them uh, in mid-January till now. You played seven million songs on Spotify of theirs, and they got a check for twelve fifty nine, something like that. Twelve dollars yeah. fifty nine. Yeah, yeah. No, not twelve hundred and fifty nine dollars. Twelve dollars and fifty nine cents. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm looking forward 
Greg, I know there's a the hundred. The next hundred. I'm looking forward to the next hundred. Yep. Uh, doing some some live shows. Uh, yeah. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Knock on and, wood. And getting those mics out that we that we invested in and mic stands that we invested in and yeah. Uh, and see uh, and see if we can remember how to work all that stuff. Yeah. No, it's been a good. It's been a. It's been a good two years. Uh, so many amazing guests, so much insight. Yeah. Uh, a lot of geeking out. Um, yeah, we're very, very, we're very fortunate to have, you know, people like Ola and Eric Alper. Yes. You know, um, support us with introducing us to their, their Absolutely. bands and their musicians. Yeah, yeah. Because you and I, we don't know anybody in music that's true i know where you're going with this but yeah that's 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 a that's that's uh i'll say 99 percent true and that one percent is probably a little bit bigger than one percent but yeah no no but like mike turner right that's where you're going and others yeah and others joel, joel carrier that we'd love to have on the show and yeah you know yeah no totally i'm totally. trying to find somebody who knows both of those people yeah, I know, I know, I know. If only you knew somebody <laughs> who know those two and others. Greg, uh, this is the start. Uh, there's a another hundred plus episodes. There's a uh, a paperback book that is going to be coming out. <laughs> so wel- welcome to the music, the book. Uh, some sometime in the near future, who knows? You're throwing it back to the genesis of this, are you? Yes, yes, yes. But that's that's for another episode. That is for another episode. Yeah, and that's very politically based and everything yeah. else. But you know, that's fun. Awesome. And that's the pre-show. That is the pre-show. Hi. The following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at eleven seventy-seven Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, I'm Martha Johnson. And I'm Mark Gain, and uh, we're from Martha and the Muffins, and you're listening and watching Welcome to the Music. Welcome to the Music. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you join us. Uh, You know, I know myself, um, 80s, early 90s musician, um, very involved in the the Canadian Toronto music scene. And uh, I just, I mean, I just thank you for your, your body of work and your music over the years. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) And congratulations. I know it's been a a few months now, but congrats on Marthology uh, in and out takes. Tell me what was, what was the, uh, the thinking behind uh, releasing that particular album? Uh, well, our manager, Graeme Stairs, had been um, talking for years about us doing what he called an odds and sods album, which was mm-hmm. like collect stuff that you haven't released and put it on a compilation. And, you know, we kept saying, yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. And uh, finally, I guess maybe uh, all this the shutdown and everything from COVID made us, gave us some more time to think about it perhaps. And so we started going into uh, all of our archives and 
you know, over the years, we would listen to certain things and then forget about them and then listen to them again, go, hey, that's that's not bad. Maybe we could do something with that. And uh, so we just started listening to stuff and we compiled the things that we thought would be interesting to people. And um, it was a way of getting back into the swing of things, too. Mm. We're writing a, um, a new new Martha and the Muffins album with new songs. And it's sort of a stopgap in between that. Still, that's ready. Yeah, I think mm. part of the thinking, certainly on Graham's part, was that it would kind of reintroduce us uh, because we, you know, we go through periods where we're not very visible for, for some time. And he's, he's thought that if we put this out now, uh, that would kind of reintroduce us so that, and set up the new album, which is uh, probably coming later this year if we start nice. working on it a lot harder than we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's interesting, too, because during during COVID, a lot of people are a lot of people are are. Um, uh exploring and finding new older music if you will that you know just because of the mixes that they're listening to on you know apple music and spotify and that so it's like you know they're they're discovering these 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 bands and music that maybe they hadn't listened to previously probably a lot lot of the younger people too right yeah yeah and that's interesting how you know um we're getting i mean our main demographic is obviously probably people uh, from our age, but most of them 10 years younger. But we do have a sizable number of 20-somethings, which is Mm -hmm. really gratifying too. And we often get comments, and it's come in, some of them have come in with the Marthology album, that this stuff doesn't really sound old at all. Hmm. Um, You know, obviously some of it does, um, but... I think we've always kind of followed our own path and that kind of, when you're, when you do that, that kind of sets you outside of things in a good way. I think well, I think we had our own sound. We stayed sort yeah. of true to our own sound rather than the sound of the day, the trend of the day. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, we had, we had Sandy and Gord on two weeks mm-hmm. ago, I think from the spoons. And, yeah. and I was, I actually made a note of that, that, you know, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it was a Canadiana thing and some of the sounds that were coming out of Canada or just in general, but like bands like yourselves and the spoons were going in their own unique direction that really almost made the songs, the sound and the songs timeless. Like a, maybe that's why the, you know, 20 somethings today are listening to and going, this is really great music. I don't know. It might be. And it may be uh, possibly to some extent geographical too, because we mm-hmm. certainly when we were starting the big influences for us were London and New York. And we were mm-hmm. kind of, you know, in the middle of those two cultural circles and, and listening and looking at a lot of what was coming from both those centers too. You got, you guys know you're in this book, do you? Or, or... yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. And... <laughs> the whole chapter. Yeah, and yes, yes, and, and so when when, <laughs> when... He, he yeah, he did a quite extensive interview, maybe even more than one interview. But yeah, yeah we we had a long talk with Johnny, and uh, he he did a great job. It's a good book. It's a great book. Oh, it's a great. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And so when Greg, when Greg is asking that question about, you know, sound, you know, Canadian sound, I'm almost, 
I almost want to say, you know, maybe there's um maybe there's almost like a neighborhood sound or maybe the uniqueness is is what defines it. So it's not necessarily although like you said Mark about, you know, your influence with New York and London, uh but at the same time it's it's a unique sound. So maybe it's not a Canadian or a Toronto sound, but because there were so many like Johnny puts it in the book, uh, you know, so many of these uh, DIY bands uh, that were figuring shit out on their own and, you know, really, you know, driving towards, you know, independence as well as just music that they enjoyed rather than, you know, wanting to follow a trend that that's why, you know, bands like Martha and the Muffins have a, have a sound that you, know, you can't quite place in a geography. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, we were obviously part of that early post-punk new wave scene, you know, in the mid-70s, early 80s in Toronto. But, um, and what's interesting about any early scene, and, you know, I've said this before about, you know, the blues, country music, early rock and roll, early funk and R&B and all, everything – it's in the early days of all those things. Nobody really knows what they're doing, which is actually a really <laughs> exciting. It's a really exciting time because everybody's just doing it, and then later on, it becomes kind of, uh, you know, codified. Like now, there's rock school, and now you go and learn to hold a guitar a certain way, <laughs> or you know, like the the Jack uh, Black parody, yeah. but. And but it's kind of true. But, you know, when you think of like early, like some of the early Motown people were were so they grew up in very, you know, impoverished circumstances. And I think there's a story about the legendary Motown bass player, James Jamerson, you know, playing with a a wire on the side of a barn somewhere. And, And I don't know if I have the facts totally accurate, but, you know, they they weren't going, Hey, how am I going to sound like this? They were just doing it and exploring it. And then, you know, that in itself turned into Motown and then everybody now associates, you know, a certain kind of sound with Motown, but when they were doing it, they weren't thinking about that, you know, and neither were we and nor a lot of artists. Yeah. You're just, you're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Having fun really. (laughs) Yeah. So, I, from what I've read, and I hope I get my 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 places in the GTA correct, uh, you guys grew up in Thornhill, or the band sort of formed up in Thornhill. Is that right? I was I went to high school in Thornhill, and uh, all the friends that I, I had were very interested in music and bands, and we we would have weekend bands. We we, <clears throat> we just uh, record a couple few songs on a weekend. Of, the guy who's uh, Carl, who's um, the bass player in Martha and the Muffins, he had a, a tape recorder because his father had a, a business that sold tape recorders. So hmm. we, we we would make these these uh, songs and uh, do it just for the weekend. So we were quite obsessed with music. And uh, you know, another friend of mine knew everything that came out out of England. You know, got all the sound, like all the magazines, sounds, and all those enemy. So it was just it was just a real interest we had in music, and um, then we all moved downtown, and the okay. uh, band started from that. And, and but the band uh, was also very um, tied to Ontario College of Art. 
Yeah, and but mm-hmm. and also, uh, I mean, there was the Thornhill contingent. It had something to it, didn't it? Oh, it did for sure. And but half the band, the the first lineup of Martha and Muffins was from Etobicoke, and um, so. But basically, we were suburban. We fled the suburbs for downtown, like a lot of people did, and um, but it did, and and the scene did center around. Uh, the Ontario College of Art and the Beverly Tavern, which was sort of the watering hole for all the art students and their teachers um, and places like Crash and Burn, which I think lasted one summer <laughs> uh, and then sort of spread west to the horseshoe and um, later on to the edge. But, you know, in the early days, uh, I mean, it was really the kids coming downtown from the suburbs and the art students that were kind of, pollinating uh queen street west which of course wasn't queen street west at all it was this completely deserted grimy not happening um area at all on the weekends it was dead hardware stores yeah well it had you know local businesses but a lot of them were not thriving you know and um like many city centers it's like the artist's and young people that sort of go to where the rents are cheap and then every, and make a scene and then everybody else wants to be there. Um, Which is a normal kind of sociological type of uh, series of events for, you know, development of city areas. Like that's how it happens all over the place. Yeah. Um, As gentrification sort of, well, first of all, first of all, this, the, the young people come in and the artists and they, they, they make it cool and people come in and then you see the gentrification. I mean, we're seeing it, you know, you see it in Parkdale, Parkdale used to be the place you'd never wanted to go to. And then That's you know, right. the artists and the foodies went in and then all of a sudden now, you know, people are buying these homes and renovating them and making these massive multi-million dollar places. I mean, yeah. yeah. I lived there in the eighties. Yeah. Martha lived there in the eighties and it was not a fun place, but yeah. And you're right. And, and, and a half generation before us, it was Yorkville. Yep. Yorkville wasn't a great place, you know, in the early days either. And then all the, you know, when Joni Mitchell, Neil Young and uh, Bruce Coburn and everybody started playing at uh, the small clubs there, all of a sudden it became groovy too, you know? Yeah. And now yeah. look at it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Not a folk singer in sight. Very, very gentrified. Yeah. <laughs> So let's so let's quickly pause here and figure out where we're going to invest in real estate. <laughs> where right now? Where are all the cool kids hanging out? And let's go buy some land. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's a really you know good idea, Kareem, because you know the, it's a huge problem now. You know, we've we've done some other interviews and if they're younger or, you know, some of the interviewers have been in bands, I say, where are you guys practicing? Like, where are your rehearsal spaces? Because one of the things that uh, triggers that kind of activity and one of the major things is cheap space, the available, yeah, the availability of cheap rent and space. So in our early days, all those areas like around Peter street, South of Queen, all those old, um, what used to be industrial buildings were lofts and lofts in the old sense of the word, not like condo lofts, but like yeah. real lofts with like drafty windows and no heat. 
Um, and everybody was renting spaces like that. And cockroaches. Like, yeah, had cockroaches, <laughs> as I will. Um, but, uh, you know, where are those places now? Like, uh, you know, like maybe you have to go out way out past Scarborough or into the, you know, near countryside to even get space. Like well, a lot that. of people, a lot of musicians are moving to Barrie and uh, Hamilton and places like that. Yeah. But, but even, but even Hamilton, I mean, we talked with, uh, we had Tom Wilson on a couple of years back and like, you know, he said Hamilton, you know, my, my stepson moved out of Hamilton. I mean, he moved into Mississauga because it was close for work, but like, you know, even Hamilton's out of reach. It's almost like, I see young musicians going out to like Prince Edward County and you talked about Barry and up in that, like, like the golden horseshoe is no longer attainable for young artists. Um, Our daughter moved to uh, Prince Edward County recently. Yeah. And it's, but it's the real it estate is. there is going up and up too. Yeah. And, I was getting, I was going to say that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And that has huge uh, sociological implications for culture. Like if you can't have creative people affording to live in a city and all, you know, then it becomes all super wealthy people or people with means. What, what happens to the culture of a city then? And I know there's huge problems in other cities like San Francisco that used to be a huge cultural hub after world war two, you know, there were all sorts of writers and then in the sixties, all sorts of bands and everything. Nobody can afford to live there either. So what what happens to a city like that or Toronto, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a big question. So, I mean, Mark and Martha, if the both of you, uh, you know, were, you know, Martha and the Muffins was formed in Queen West before it was the Queen West that, um, you know, before it was Queen West, really. You know, yeah. it wasn't yeah. like, let's go to Queen West and see some cool bands. It was like, don't <laughs> no. go to Queen West because all there is, is, you know, crappy places and the students live there. Um, there's, there's no nice things ever, uh, <laughs> but you just, you know, move forward a decade and it's like, it's happening. All yeah. the new music is happening there. And then fast forward 30, 40 years. And there's maybe a handful of places, right? I mean, um, uh, Alma Combo is just south, or no? It's on College, isn't it? it no, it's on Spadina. Spadina, South in College, yeah, like yeah. it's just below College Street, right? So there's yeah. there's only there's only a few places in that sort of neighborhood, yeah, that are left. Yeah. Queen West is not, you know, the Queen West that Johnny might talk about. You know, in, it's gone and it's, it's, it's gone. Right. So, yeah. So before I, I, I don't know if I want to ask you about, you know, what, where's the next neighborhood? Um, because I want to talk about, you know, the, the neighborhoods that you, you remember. And I, and, are, and are, I'm really fascinated with Queen West, you know, outside of it being a place that you could afford, you know, you, you, you grew up in a, in a time that they were a lot of these young, whether it was new wave or punk bands, but there was, it's, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Martha and Mark, seems to me that there was music everywhere in the neighborhood at that time. Well, there was because 
because you could uh, you could afford to live in that area. Uh, clubs could afford the rent, and maybe in some cases the the owners actually owned those buildings. They might have owned them, you know, when it was cheap to buy them, or when the neighborhood fell into harder times, they hung on, and then they were there when it started coming back. Um, there was a huge visual art community, community there. Like um, there were all sorts of you know who are now famous Canadian artists like Graham Coftry that lived on Spadina Avenue, and I had a loft right at college in Spadina. And there were artists, you know, living in those uh, apartments above the stores, you know, down Spadina and along uh, Queen West, and you know you could. Uh, I mean, I think we lived on a boat. This is going to sound crazy, but I shared this lot with two other people, and I think we probably only spent about two grand a year. You know, wow. I mean, I, live, I, live in a, I lived in a house with uh, what five people in, in the house, and we each paid thirty-five dollars, I think, a month. I mean, does this sound like you know eighteen seventy <laughs> and not nineteen seventy? <laughs> <laughs> That is crazy. Uh, t- tell me about, you know, take me back to the to the 70s and 80s uh, in, in that neighborhood. You know, who are some of the bands that, that you guys are growing up with and sharing the stage with? Well, the, the ones that were close to us, I think, were the, the Dishes and um, the G-Rays. Johnny and Johnny the G-Rays, the Dishes, the Cads. Uh, the Cads, the Diodes. Some of the Diodes went to OCA. And there was... Um, B-Girls. The B-Girls. Curse, the Ugly. The Curse, the Ugly. The Vile Tones. <laughs> um, they're all in that book. <laughs> yeah, they're all in yeah. that book. There was um, part of the Ontario College of Art at the time was the Experimental Arts Department. And it had its own building just south of where the uh, Sharp Center, the big thing on stilts on McColl Street is now. And it used to be the Brinks Safe Building, like the Brinks Safe People Building. And it was rented out to OCA. And that's where all the super cutting edge kind of performance art, audiovisual art was being done. And the diodes and Martha and the Muffins would sometimes play at parties there or rehearse there. And some of us were doing experimental music there. The building was only demolished, I think, about three or four years ago. It oh, was wow. still there. Um, and it's gone now. And it's I think it's a condo. Surprise, of course surprise. it is. <laughs> of course it's a condo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else would it be? Right. But um uh, that was a center too. Like it, it's interesting because this artist Julie uh, McMillan did um, a bell box mural of Martha and the Muffins on McCall Street, just above Queen, a couple of years ago. And we went down and met her. And while she was working on it, we were talking with her. And basically, where we were standing, literally like fifty yards, you know, to the west was the Beverly Tavern, which is gone. Uh, at, still there at the time was the Brinks building, which was just up the street and a bit further OCA to the east on um, what's the adjoining street next to McCall where the Rex is. Anyway, right across from the Rex was our old Duncan. Hmm? Duncan. No, not Duncan. Hmm. Um, but 
one block over east was our old rehearsal space, which used to be the Rex's stables, like way back when. Wow. St. Patrick, right, on St. Patrick. So literally, like where she has her mural, you could draw a radius around that, and all this stuff was happening. And I mean, there's not only us, but all these other bands. Um, and, you know, every nobody had money. You know, there wasn't, and you didn't need a lot of money. Like you could live in this city and, you know, you could, you were a student and yeah, you didn't have a lot of money and you lived in some pretty crappy places, but it was just all this excitement. You know, everybody saw these bands in New York and, and London and elsewhere and every, and people who didn't think that they would ever be in a band, there seemed to be a whole atmosphere or, you know, kind of looking at each other, hey, you know, we could be in a band. I mean, we don't really know anything about being in a band, but we could do that. <laughs> I bought a, I bought a, a, an electric organ and, and immediately I was asked to be in bands. <laughs> yeah, but just I because she it. had it. I didn't know? play it. <laughs> I didn't know how to play it, really. Um, That's funny. <laughs> and there was, you know, a person who was so important in the scene who unfortunately passed away a few years ago named Stephen Davey, who was a Thornhill uh, mm. classmate. Well, he was, yeah. was he, he, he went was, to the same high yeah, school. Yeah, he went to the same high school. Right. And he came down. He was the one who formed the dishes. You know, we'd see the dishes play at the Beverly with the 30 other people in the room. And I, I remember looking at them going, wow, this is cool. Like, I, this would be cool to do. And then, mm. you know, he, one of my fellow art students in the Brinks building who'd been in bands with you, David Miller, he said, do you want to start a band? And I went, yeah, okay. And then he brought Martha in and Martha, you know, knew some other people. And I brought my brother in and we just started working on our own songs and we got gigs at the Beverly, you know, and you had to carry your equipment up the stairs and in the alleyway where the chicken slaughterhouse was, and <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> but bands still start that way now, don't they? I, I mean, like I hope so. yeah, they, they have to go near the places. Like, I hope they do, but I don't know where they do it. Maybe their mom and dad's basement, which is okay. You know, you yeah. got to do it somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, yeah. and it was like, a, you know, the Peter Pan restaurant was one of the few places that was there. They, they, they've been around there a long time. The Bamboo Club, which is now long gone, was actually a bamboo store. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. The the horseshoe wow. was there, but it was yeah. a country and western bar more yeah. at that time. And, um, and then there was a sort of a second wave, the like Parachute Club and uh, Altamoda. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. were a bit later as it expanded westward, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember very clearly when suburban women who at my age at that time appeared to be middle-aged, who were probably only 10 years older than we were, <laughs> but, but starting to come down there and open like new, like boutiques that sold like ripped sweatshirts with safety pants in them, you know, and um, we opened for the B-52s at the Danforth Music Hall. Wow. And I remember that was the first gig that we noticed suburban kids were in the audience. Before that, it all uh-huh. been like people, you know, fellow bands, and it was a really small scene. And 
I went, wow, this is starting to, you know, and obviously they, I think they'd been signed at that time. Yeah. So it was starting to happen, right? There were bands getting signed and obviously kids in the burbs were hearing this stuff and starting to come downtown. Fascinating. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, B-52s at the, yeah, the Danforth and you guys, that'd be crazy. Um, anyway, sorry, just geeking out over that one. Um <laughs> So, so looking at that and, and, you know, fast forward a few years and I think Echo Beach won a Casby, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Am I right with that one? Casby's were, yeah. No, the Casby's didn't there. exist at that point. We, was it a we, Juno? Was it Juno then? The Juno. It was no, no. No, we won a, a Juno award uh, for, what was it, single of the year yeah. in 1980. And we tied, they didn't just give it to us, they tied it was tied with Ann Murray. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Like they, when we were there at the Juno Awards, you know, it's like this big deal. And Pierre Trudeau, who was the prime minister sitting a few seats back and, wow. and, and kind of flirting at you, wasn't yeah, he? Totally. That bad boy. But <laughs> anyway, um, um, but they, you know, they were up there and they opened up the emblem to go, uh, and the single of the year is Ann Murray. Can, what was, can I have this dance? Or yeah, and we went, and we went, oh, okay. You know, and, and they went, hold on. There's, there's another, it, there's another name here. It's a tie. It's like Martha and the Muffins and Echo Beach. So um, I think that's one of the few times where there was a tie. And I'm not sure. I mean, there ever had been. total respect to Ann Murray, but like she'd won about a thousand Junos before. <laughs> like, couldn't we have just won it by ourselves that year? But yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. But where, where I wanted to go with the Casby's was um, I was hoping to talk a bit about sort of the the importance of CFNY, the spirit of radio and sort of at that time as you're that's where that's where I thought I was going with the Casby thing. I just apologize. Yeah, that's that. that's but, a good place to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about sort of that, the importance of what that radio station did for not just yourselves, but just I got goosebumps the the music in general at that time. I've still got the radio that has CFNY on it. Oh, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got to get those out at some point. But their CFNY's uh, importance cannot be underestimated. And, you know, we could talk about the Garys as well with the Edge and all oh, the well. other venues they ran. But, but, but CFNY, you know... Th- the spirit of radio could not have been a better um, slogan for them because they were like, at that point, you know, radio was all pre-programmed and there was probably a handful of people in North America that told everybody what they should be playing. And, you know, their CFNY was out in Brampton. It was in some little house. We used to house. Yep. Interviews. And they did it for the music, you know, and that was quite obvious. And so did the Garys and so did a handful of other people. There are people that just, they're not there going, Hey, how much money can we make? Or how can we corner this market? Or they just did it. And I remember when we did our self-produced single, you know, and I can't remember when it was, what night it was played, but we heard it was going to be played. And, you know, we heard it on the radio and we just went, wow, this is, you know, and this is probably like a year before we signed with Virgin. Like it was so thrilling to hear something you did by yourself coming over the radio. And, you know, that story, I mean, everyone you talk to from that era in Toronto 
will probably say the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, um, they're responsible in a large way for making the scene what it was, you know, um, unbelievable. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, th- I think too, like you mentioned the Gary's as well, like between the spirit of radio and the Gary's and you talk about the influences of London and New York. I mean, both, both of those entities, um, brought so much music to Toronto for, for younger aspiring musicians to hear and experience and yeah. And the edge, obviously. Yes. Um, you know, like even before the edge, uh, they were bringing in like a, a really eclectic range. I mean, I don't know how many, cool bands we saw that the Gary's brought in like Sun Ra and, you know, uh, we didn't see the police. Everybody in the world claims they did. So they saw the- <laughs> when they played the horses, we were not there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's a legendary gig. And yeah. And the talk, talking heads. Talking at OCA. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether I was there. Definitely. You were there <laughs> at, yeah. at OCA. I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. They okay. played at OCA when they were still a trio. Wow. Um, it was very geeky. Yeah. But in a great way. In a great way. <laughs> of yeah, course. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so Geek tell me <laughs> tell me about uh Dan. You know, before everyone knew him as Daniel Lanois, apparently he just went by Dan. <laughs> um, well everybody called him Danny back then. Danny. <laughs> Danny. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, tell me about the Lanois brothers and working with work with with, uh, with Daniel Lanois. Well, we went, met him through uh, his sister, our yeah, ba- yeah. our bass player Jocelyn yeah. Lanois. Yep. Yeah. She said she said I have these brothers who have a, a studio called Grant Avenue in Hamilton, and uh, we could do our demo there. So we went went to the, Hamilton and met the the two brothers, Bob and Dan, and. Uh, we really liked working with Dan. It was a real um, rapport with with him, and uh, we went on to make a, f- a few records with him too. Yeah, that was for our third album, and uh, we were really not happy with our relationship with Virgin because they mm-hmm. were, you know, they were trying to push us in a certain direction, and so. We'd made the first two albums in England, which was a great experience. Like I'm not, I mean, it was phenomenal in a lot of ways, but the third album, we had a lot of different ideas about what we wanted to do. And the accidental meeting of Jocelyn and her, you know, we thought, okay, these guys, this studio is probably some little room, but yeah, let's go check it out. And the great thing, I mean, both of them were great. Like Bob was like super technical and kind of knew everything about how to run a studio. And Dan, you know, was, I mean, they were both creative, but Dan, you know, was kind of like the, the, the engineer producer creator guy. And we had a instant rapport from him and he was unlike any other producer or engineer we'd worked with because he was completely open to everything. And he wasn't from an art, college background like he was more of like a roots guy you know hamilton dundas guy rudy but at the same time we met him he was just 
almost simultaneously starting to work with Eno. And I, we've told this story before, but like very early on, you know, the, the Lanois brother, it was either Bob or Dan came into the studio and they were there and they went, yeah, there's this guy named Brian Eno wants to come record here. And we're a bit worried about the check bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> Because they didn't, they hadn't, they weren't in that kind of realm, right? Whereas, yeah. you know, we were a huge Roxy music fan. Yeah, of and then when Eno started doing his weird solo albums, we were all over that, right? And my jaw just dropped. I went, <laughs> what? Like, Eno is coming to Hamilton? You know, like, the, um, and that was the beginning of their relationship. So I think, you know, obviously, you know, Eno had a lot to do with Dan's introduction to art music, but I, I feel we had this, you know, we were from that background too. So unlike a lot of um, engineers that we'd worked with before, Dan was totally open. Like if I wanted to make a weird noise, if I wanted to, you know, we're very textural oriented. So if I wanted to make a sound that tr kind of was black and despairing and I wanted to kick a bunch of, cardboard boxes down the Grand Avenue stairs and slow them down two octaves. He, it wouldn't be like previous uh, experiences where they'd roll their eyes and go, Oh God, Mark's going to yeah. go off the rails the again. Tree, tree piano yeah. Dan would just start setting it all up and go great. You know, and sometimes we would spend a lot of time on a sound that didn't work out and it didn't yeah. matter. Like he was there to just, make the atmosphere as conducive to creativity as possible. And in some respects, that was a new thing for us because before that it was always, Oh, like we're spending, you know, an hour doing this mark. Do we really need to do this? Or yeah. it was an exciting time creatively for musicians. I think when you, you had the opportunity to go into a studio like that and, um, and work so creatively and, the, and just uh, try ideas out and see if they work. Nice. That's great. I, I, I'm just looking at the time, and I can't believe it's it's almost yeah. 7.15. <laughs> I, I feel like we just got started talking. <laughs> um, so so I don't, I don't want to quickly go through this, but um, if you have a hard stop at 7.30, please let me know. Uh, but I wanted to ask you um, about about your relationship to the industry um, and, 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 and both of you can, can pipe into this, but I think Mark, I read somewhere um, that you have choice words for Richard Branson um, mm -hmm. or maybe you did in the past um, about, you know, <laughs> your whole experience with Virgin. Um, tell me about your relationship to, I don't know, I guess, big labels and if we want to yeah. you know for for the sake of time you know now big technology companies and, and their you know relationship with how music mm. is distributed yeah. well it's a shit show <laughs> and it always Mark, has Mark listen don't hold back please <laughs> <laughs> we, we would have to do about 10 parts <laughs> to get me off this so but I, I would say that um you know, we started off in a very small scene in Toronto, which we've described. Yeah. 
through a bunch of very lucky circumstances, we were signed with a UK label, which, you know, I mean, Virgin Records was, you know, a cool label as we perceived it. And then it turned out that they weren't so cool. And um, we had a very, we were very naive. I mean, as I think I mentioned before, there was no rock school. There was no internet that you could go and say and look at, here's a typical record contract and here's what you avoid at all costs. We had no manager. Yeah, we had no manager. Um, We were completely like babes in the woods. So, um. I don't know where to start. Like, uh, <laughs> basically, the whole conventional record deal was that you would get, you know, an advance, which wasn't a great big advance. And certainly for a six member band, it wasn't enough to live on, but you thought it was great. And there were the promises of getting a record out, which was super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. And they did a fantastic job of promoting it. Like when we spent half of 1980 in London, it was a real eye opener because London was the epicenter of pop music for decades. I mean, just think about the bands that have come out of London since the the late fifties. Right. And you're seeing this mechanism in, in uh, motion and it's for you. So you're going to the BBC, you're doing top of the pops, you're going into Restaurants where they basically put all of the London music press there to meet you. It was crazy. And flying to Paris. Flying to Paris and doing television shows and, you know, all this. Um, but the downside of it is, is that you're getting, uh, if you ever recoup the, the money that you spent on the album and going to the Manor Studios and having lovely dinners every night and stuff like that, if you ever, the chances are you'll never pay that off and most bands don't if you do um oh the other thing is, is that you're paying it off of your 10 percent. they're getting 90 percent of it and using your 10 percent to pay off these huge debts which nobody ever does so that's the old um formula but the thing that really pissed us off is that we realized there was a clause called cross-collateralization which meant they could take your publishing income, which was uh, regarded as a separate thing and not part of a record deal. Those were two separate income streams. Well, I don't know whether Branson invented this or his business people or who, but it was decided that they could cross collateralize your royalties so that all your publishing income would go to pay off your debt too. Wow. And uh, I've thought about, um, putting our original contract online just so people can see where that was buried. It's yeah. buried deep, like pages. Knew and, about it, though. and nobody knew about it and nobody really understood it. Yeah, I don't no. think we understood it. No, we didn't really understand. We didn't understand the ramifications it would have. Yeah, we, we wouldn't have any money in our, our bank account. And you guys are just, just kids. You guys are just musicians. Yeah, music, and, right? Yeah, and that's that old story about creative people want to create. And that, that doesn't, you know, and nowadays people, I think, are much wiser. Yeah. There's way more information out there. But it wasn't like that back then. So by the time we had realized this, we were opening for Eurythmics in uh, New York State somewhere, the tennis place. In Forest Hill. Forest Hill, yeah. 
And at that time, we had a manager, and there's a knock at the door to our trailer, and our manager walks in and goes, there's someone here to see you. It's Richard. <laughs> so Branson's there, and he leans forward, and he goes, Mark, Martha, and he holds out his hand, and I just stood there with my arms folded. And, you know, I wouldn't shake his hand because he fucking stole our money, right? So what am I supposed to do? Be yeah. happy to see him? And, you know, Virgin started off with an illegal tax scam that they got away with until Inland Revenue caught them. And by that time, they'd made enough money from uh, Mike Goldfield's tubular bells that they just paid off the penalty. And that, that's the kind of people you're dealing with, right? It's like whatever we can do to get money and now he's a billionaire and sending rockets up into space um you know i'm not saying he isn't a clever guy although i thought the people around him were more clever than he was but that's being clever uh but he was a real alpha dog every time you met him he was the center of attention they played practical jokes on people yeah and it wasn't like fun like it was supposed to be funny but really the subliminal thing was yeah. I'm, well, I'm the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, we're all having a fun time here, but you know, the real message was power trip. Yeah. Me, yeah, me. And I mean, I don't know that you can become a billionaire without being like that. You know, um, but, yes, yes, yeah, I hear you. And now we have, you know, like the money has now gone from the labels to the the tech giants. Well, also, and, still goes to the labels. Yeah, no, it's the, still the labels. Labels make, yeah. make deals with the um, <clears throat> the Spotify's and yeah. uh, other people to to give access to their their um, catalog, which a lot of the people like us have catalog tied up with with um, Universal or yeah. Sony or Warner's or somebody because they signed a deal a long time ago that gave the the rights to away for the forever in perpetuity. Mm. I'm going to run away for one second because I want to book. I want to show you a book that I just read that talks about this whole thing. Sure. I think yeah. Should, so Martha, that'd be great. Talk. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, t- we'll yeah, talk yeah. with we'll talk with Martha. So, so Mark, so Martha, quick question for you then around that. Um, I noticed on your links in terms of where you're sending people to go and listen and purchase the music. I think it's Apple and Amazon alone. Is that on purpose? Based on who's paying out what or because i know i know i know the new album's on spotify but you don't necessarily link to that just just wondering and i'm not trying to again we're all everybody's all up in arms with spotify right now so i'm not trying to fan any flames but i just interested them um it's the reason why you those are the links is because of the distribution deal with record companies like we yeah we don't have control over that now because of the deal we now have as a distribution okay. deal before, you know, there's still, most of our stuff is still through CD baby and they've, mm-hmm. they aggregated out to Spotify and Amazon and all that. Yeah. For a long time. Um, we've talked for years about getting our website back in order and having our own <laughs> online store, which, you know, I'll wake up at 4am with like a tense feeling in my body going, yeah. We really got to get before we die. We really got to get. <laughs> um, um, We're too busy making music. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of excuses, but you know, the choices are limited for sure. I mean, and we should have a 
you know, a real band camp page and stuff. Um, CD baby used to have an online store and they closed it down yeah. a few years ago, which was a drag. I don't, maybe it wasn't making enough money, um, but I want to show you, I don't know if you can see. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It's called the death of, artist. The, the, death oh, of yeah. the artist by yeah. um, William Derisovitz. And basically it's how the whole middle level of creators right across the cultural uh, spectrum. Like, so we're talking about writers, so literature, music, theater, uh, dance, visual art, how the big tech companies have basically hollowed out the whole uh, middle class of artists are usually the ones that are the most creative and the mo- make their living from whatever they do mm-hmm. and are the most innovative. And it's a really eye-opening book. I mean, we know firsthand about a lot of this because we've been in the music biz for 40 years, but it's a very alarming book because um, a lot of people, one of the major uh, subjects of the book is nobody can afford to make a living doing what they used to make a living doing. So what happens? That's the big question. But I just thought I would bring that up because we are talking sort of about this. Yeah, yeah so, no, absolutely. Like we, I mean, even, and I was thinking about that in terms of when we were talking about Toronto and, and Martha, you mentioned about your daughter going to Prince Edward County and, and it's like, and that's expensive. Like I know Chuck D from the salads is a real estate agent out there now. And it's like, like where, like what happens? And, and again, it's not a question to answer right now, but to the point of the book, like what happens? What, well, I, I don't even know. I, I, I feel despair asking that question. Because, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. And it's exactly like that, Greg. I mean, and he and the writer does make some suggestions. And um, then there's people like uh, Ari Herstand, who wrote a book called The New Music Business that was um, unsparing in his analysis that the old model is dead. Yeah. Um, They're still referring to the old contracts and uh, deals that people like uh, like us made in the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. and even and, and before, and they just, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, what is copyright if every everybody's copying everything, and you know, taking it from YouTube or do on their phones? You, you copy whatever you want. You copy a film, copy a movie, you know, copy. TV shows and, and music and everything. I mean, there is no really copyright anymore, I don't think. Yeah, yeah well, I think one of um, Dershowitz's points is that a generation back, music became, you know, with Napster, a generation grew up assuming music has no value, no monetary value. Like, people aren't willing free. to pay for it. It should be free. Yeah. It should, you know, well, yeah, that's... That's the attitude for some, but it's just there. Like it's there to scream. It's there. You don't go to a music store anymore and spend, you know, $5 on an album. Um, You hear a song on the radio and you go, I want to have that. But I would get the single. Yeah. So I would say, read this book. And also Ari Herstand has like an online blog and the new music business is a really interesting book to read too. Cause he, he basically says how it is. He said, forget about trying to be, you know, a pop star. That's dead. Yeah. Don't even think about that. You can make, and his whole thing is that you can make a living 
and here's how you can do it. And, you know, it works for some people better than it works for others, but he's got a lot of good advice there. So it's not hopeless, Greg. Yeah. Not hopeless, but yeah. we got to find our way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to help the kids. I mean, we have we to have help. To, we have to, we have to find ways to facilitate these young kids to be creative. To, yeah, you know, sure. as you said it might be in their basement, their parents' basement. I don't know, but um, there's, there's, we need, we need the next version of punk. We need the next version of, of uh, grunge. We need, I mean, the, we're, 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 we're calling for it. There's some, something's got to happen soon. Yeah, our manager has a label called uh, Pop Guru, yeah. and um, he has a lot of really in- interesting bands that are you know, young people who are forming these bands and writing songs and, and, and some he's had, he manages us as well. And you get the collaboration between uh, these, you know, working with other people on the label are, is quite, quite interesting. I think that's one way of trying, trying to keep things going. You, like yeah. work with younger songwriters yeah. and stuff. And, yeah. you know, a lot of what we say isn't really relevant anymore, but like we still can impart some kind of wisdom and some of the time anyway, and say like, whatever you do, don't ever sign your publishing away. And, mm-hmm. you know, and people know that now, I mean, you know, it, it's more general knowledge than it was when we were, you know, in our early days, but yeah. Wow. Well, uh, Martha, Mark, I could, I mean, we, I've got so many more questions <laughs> that I want to ask you. Um, you know, what we can do, you know, what we can do is once we get out of the pandemic, so we, one of our sponsors is Radical Road, which is a microbrew house at uh, Queen and Jones at the bottom oh, there. Okay. So, oh. so if, if you're open to it, we would love to get to, because again, I've got a ton of questions still. I know yeah. Karen does as well. We'd love to, we'd love to jump on and, and our get together once, you know, we get out of this COVID and meet face to face and, and carry on the yeah. conversation. Wouldn't that be something, you know? <laughs> well, that would be great. I'd, we'd love to talk to you guys further. And, you know, obviously we've got other things in the pipeline. So, well, yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. you know, at some, point, at some point we'll want to talk about those. And, you yeah. know, the conversation has been really great. Yeah. Like, we really appreciate you it's having us, you know. It's, it's been our Thank pleasure. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, but so before we let you go, if people want to check out your music, past and present, um, where where do they need to go? Where should they check this out? Well, probably the the, the best one at this time is YouTube because we have our own page and we have I don't know like forty plus videos uh, that cover the very earliest days. There's like footage from the Electric Ballroom in London from 1980 all the way up to our like weird little videos. Like we do make little videos at home that have very, you know, like compared to Beyonce, the production values are more like DIY. <laughs> but I, I like that. Like I like the home make quality. So there's everything in between, like the videos we did in the eighties and stuff. And um, we have a song called the stay home and dance. Yeah. We did, a, we, did a, yep. we did a video for um, and you know, Instagram, Facebook, I were very conflicted about and Martha's page for some reason stopped working. I haven't been able to get into it for about a year now. And I don't know, they, they, they like quote unquote improved it. <laughs> and uh, it's really yeah. hard to 
make changes, but we have a Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, there's probably our website is circling around in the Sargasso Sea, <laughs> waiting for us. <laughs> yeah, to, like, do something with it. yeah. Um, so that yeah, YouTube would be probably the way to go. Uh, Pop Guru site maybe, popguru.ca. Um, we're around. <laughs> Perfect. We'll we'll link out when we post it onto our site. So okay, you. great. Absolutely. Yeah. So go check out. Oh, there's your there's your YouTube. Uh, yeah, just Martha and the Muffins on YouTube. Uh, go check them out there. There's a ton, a ton of videos. Wow, from like 12 years ago, even. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There's like and, and like a lot of those videos are 30 years old now. And then Martha is like, yeah, there yep. it is, the new one. The new album. <laughs> so where, where can where can they buy that CD? Uh, well, I think um, that's like a Amazon, Spotify. It's a third one. What's the other big one? Amazon. Oh, Apple. SoundCloud. Apple. Apple. Yeah. Oh, Apple. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those would be the main uh, avenues. Well, we'll we'll put links in our show notes for sure. Uh, Martha Johnson and Mark Gain from Martha and the Muffins. Uh, this has been a treat. Thank you for sharing. Um, Thank you. And uh, we look forward to having you join us again. And we look forward to new music this year. Well, thanks, Kareem and, and Greg. You've been great. And, uh, you know, we look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Thanks very much.